This is episode number 27 with Laura Plum. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, and I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe to uncover the habits, mindsets, tools, and rituals that they have used to become world-class so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Laura is a leading educator on the power of the Vedic sciences to promote sacred health and scrumptious living. Formerly the general manager of the Discovery Channel in Europe, Laura is now the founder and director of VedaWise offering clinical services in the natural medicine for whole person wellness and trainings in the Vedic sciences. She offers classes and consultations in Ayurveda, Jyotish astrology, yoga therapy, whole food cooking and nutrition, and serves as a contributing Ayurvedic educator at the UCSD Center for Integrative Medicine. Now, as you will hear in the show today, Laura and I have been friends for about three years now, and I've had a few Jyotish astrology readings with her, which you'll hear all about. And in today's episode, we chat about her journey to where she is today, how to see love and beauty in everything, why meditation is key to happiness and fulfillment in life. What is Jyotish astrology, why it's so powerful and how it differs from other types of astrology? What is Saturn's return and why you must understand it? What is Mercury retrograde and how to understand it and move through it with as much ease and grace as possible? The truth of who you are and why we are here on Earth? How the stars and planets can guide you? Plus so much more. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can find in the show notes, and that is at www.melissaambrosini.com forward slash 27. And without further ado, let's dive into this scrumptious episode with the one and only Laura Plum. Beautiful Laura, welcome to the show. I am so glad you are here and cannot wait to dive into today's juicy episode with you. Thank you, Melissa. It's a great honor to be with you. Now, before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Oh, that is such a great question. I forgot you asked that. <laughs> I think you'll like what I have for breakfast lately. This is interesting. I take, I have a cup of coffee. I mix in coconut milk, coconut oil, a little bit of cardamom. And then I do what they do in India where they take two cups and they pour them back and forth. And that aerates it. So you pour it into one and then the other and then you raise it high so it, you know, it gets a lot of splash to it. And it's a bit like... Uh, what are those things called? You just interviewed the guy. Coffee. Bulletproof coffee. Bulletproof. It's a bit like doing that. And that's what I have now. It's a little bit of a ketogenic. Then I don't eat until lunch. And since I eat dinner early, I eat lunch at about 1130. So dinner is about 630 latest. 
And then I haven't really eaten anything except my coffee and my healthy fats until I have lunch at about 11.30, as I said. Mm, yum <laughs> I don't know if that's the breakfast you were looking for, but it is delicious. <laughs> mm, sounds amazing. Very, very yummy. Before we go deep into Jyotish astrology and Ayurveda, can you take us back and tell us about your journey and how you got to where you are today and doing what you are now doing? Well, as you may have noticed, a lot of people in the world today are really looking deeply at exactly that. What are we doing and why are we doing it? And is this what we're here to do in this one short, beautiful, precious life of ours? Um, And so many of us, I think, you know, it's not necessarily an obvious path. The first thing that I think when I hear that question is, gosh, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't in any way clear. But at the same time, what comes to mind is me at about eight years old, lying in the grass, looking up at the night sky. My parents were nearby, my brother and sisters were nearby. And you're just in that moment of utter relaxation, utter joy, utter feelings of safety and belonging. You know, the deep, rich, beautiful earth is holding you. And that beautiful, infinite vault of heaven, you know, that sparkling sky is above you. And you just feel that sense of both, like I said, safety and belonging, while at the same time, it's a sense of awe. Like, this is the world we live in. And I remember my father coming over and lying down next to me and both of us looking at the stars. And he just said something like, you know, never lose that sense of wonder. That's your greatest gift. Um, And I, I think that's what's really driven me through life. Just I am curious about the world. And above all, I'm curious about how it works. You know, where does this all come from? How does it work? And how can we understand it in such a way that we can really live our best life? You know, the world itself is full of beauty, full of bounty. It's great and it's glorious. It is that beauty, that bounty, that goodness, that greatness is everywhere surrounding us. And what we know from Ayurveda is that we are that. We are nature itself and we are every bit as intelligent, every bit as great, beautiful, glorious as that. And so the question for me was, well, then how do we live that in every moment? So I went on that pursuit. I went on that journey. (laughs) And how do we live that in every moment? There's so many ways to answer that question. But what I would say is there's, you could think of it as circles. There's an inner circle, a middle circle, and an outer circle. And really in Ayurveda, which is the oldest and most comprehensive science of wellness, health, um, and healing, and we focus a lot on botanical medicines, on food, and on lifestyle. But I would call that your outer circle. Uh, your middle circle is, you know, are you exercising? Um, how are you living your life? You know, what are you putting into your mouth? What are you, are you, you know, how, are, what's going in? What's the input? What's the output, let's say? Um, the inner circle is really key. What is your attitude? What do you think about life? When you notice yourself having a grumpy moment, how do you shift that? Are you able to get up every day and look forward to the day? Are you able to meet the day with your arms wide open? What gives you that sense of courage and that joy? Are you able to see that the world is full of beauty and bounty and that there are miracles everywhere around you all the time? Are you able to you know, embrace that love is also, love is the field in which we live and love is constantly reaching out for us to help us and support us and strengthen us. It's really the inner circle, I think, of medicine itself 
is your attitude. People talk about an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of appreciation, an attitude of awakening, awakening to light and love and recognizing, as I said, and I say it over and over, that that's what you're made of, that's what the world is made of, and we are constantly in that relationship that is a loving relationship. So the question I would say back to you is, what takes you there? Whatever takes you there, do it. (laughs) Do it all the time. What takes you away from it? Stop doing that. Mm. Yeah. One of my meditation mentors, a little while ago, I said to him, you know, I feel like I'm not getting the same effect that I used to get when I meditate. When I first started meditation, there was, it was such a deep drop and I was most likely releasing so much fatigue in my body and they were really deep, like deep, deep meditations. I now feel like my meditations are nowhere near as deep. And I said to him, what's the point? And he said, well, first of all, you've got to keep showing up. <laughs> you keep showing up and because it's that's the work and it's those little things that take you closer to feeling that connection with all things, like you mentioned. And before I started meditating, I never felt like I was one with everything. I never saw the beauty in everything like I do now. This morning I went for a walk along Bondi Beach and honestly my jaw was to the floor most of the time. I'm just in awe of the beauty that surrounds us. And my husband will testify to this. I'm I'm always looking around going, oh my God, look at that tree and look at the sky. And, and I just see so much beauty in everything. But I haven't always felt like that. And it took me a massive wake-up call and a life transformation for me to really turn everything around. And some people that might be listening to this might think, what the heck are they on about? Like, what drugs are they smoking? So what would you say to someone who's thinking, I don't, I don't look around and see beauty in everything. What the hell are they on about? <laughs> I think a lot of people nowadays look around and see, you know, evil and darkness and overbuilt concrete uh, cities and jungles. And, and it's not to say that that isn't also there, but it's to say, as one of my teachers used to say, he would call it the second attention. He'd say, you know, the first attention he would call the mitote. And the mitote is this old Central American, it's an Aztec word for the, the marketplace. So the mitote is the marketplace, the place where, you know, everybody's coming to buy and sell and talk about what's going on in the world. He said, that's the first attention, but he said, take your awareness to the second attention, that even in the marketplace, you could pay attention to your breath. You could look up and see a blue sky. You can see a child who's just for the first time tasting that fresh cherry. Um, There's always something happening in the world that is richer and deeper, and you can almost say gives you a feeling of timelessness. Um, and, And so... If we always focus on what's going wrong, 
you know, ultimately, my sciences are what we call Vedic sciences. And all of the Vedic sciences over and over in their own ways tell us that everything emerges from vibration. In the beginning was sound. Thought is a vibration. And all of vibration ultimately moves in waves, right? And waves form patterns. And ultimately patterns create structure. The universe itself is vibratory structure. And that all living beings are built upon this vibratory structure. And if your thoughts are waves, which they are, we talk about thought waves, then if you keep repeating the same wave, you become that. And so ultimately, it's about being responsible, showing up in the world, paying attention to what's going on, but not obsessing about it, recognizing that in every single moment, you can see the mitote, (laughs) but you can also, even within the mitote, see beauty. And I think that's what it is to meditate, and I think that's what it is to bring uh, wakefulness, mindfulness to the world, to, you know, my question back to you would be, you know, maybe you've got these peaks and troughs in your meditation, but does meditation help you? Not just do you have a great meditation when you're meditating, but what kind of a difference does it make in your day-to-day life, you know, when you're out in the world relating to people? Oh, it makes me a much nicer human being. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what meditation is for me? It is when I honor myself and I sit in stillness and I go inward, what I'm saying to the universe or God or whatever you believe in is I love myself so much and I honor myself so much that I'm going to sit here and fully be with myself for 20 minutes. And I'm going to let whatever it is within me rise to the surface. Now that might be sadness or joy, whatever it is. But for me, sitting and honoring myself is a declaration to the universe that I love and respect and honor myself. And it just makes me feel amazing. That's why I show up. Yeah. When you say, you know, there's that declaration that you matter, you know, I matter. And how, how different we are in our, in our day-to-day life. How much better is your sleep? How much better are your relationships? How much more productive and creative is your work? You know, what, what drug are we on? We're on the ultimate best drug of all. We're on the, the drug of higher mind, you know, awakened mind. And the fact that the mind even has, you know, receptor cells <laughs> to, to these, these neurochemistry that we're able to create through our meditation shows that we are designed to do it. And we're designed to live at that level of creativity, productivity, efficiency, joy, and love. Hmm. Let's chat about Jyotish astrology because I am sure a lot of people listening have never heard of Jyotish astrology. And before meeting you many years ago, I didn't know about it. And I think we had our first reading maybe three or four years ago now. 
And I've had a couple with you over the past few years, but after our first reading where you didn't know anything about me, apart from my birth date and the time that I was born. Now, when I was reflecting on our interview today, I was, I went and looked back over my notes that I had taken from our readings. And I realized that most of what you had said had manifested without me even realizing it. And having that reading with you was like a little wink, like a from the universe of what I already knew deep down was true in my bones. And one of the biggest things we spoke about, because I remember at the time I'd just gotten married and everyone was asking me, when are you having babies? When you, especially my mum. And I spoke with you about that and hearing you say it would be in quite a few years was like a warm hug to my soul because I already knew that deep within. And then I, it was like a little, that wink or that warm hug from the universe. And I could rest assured that I could go forth and accomplish the things that I wanted to accomplish in my life and, and want to for the next couple of years, which is, you know, writing more books and serving more people. And I could, I could fully surrender to that knowing that all is unfolding exactly the way it should. So can you tell us, first of all, what is Jyotish astrology and how it differs from other types of astrology? It's very, very rich. Jyotish is a word, a Sanskrit word that means light. Actually, Jyoti means light and Ish means divine or actually Ish means the, the governing force of this world that we live in. And so it's an understanding of, you could say, the, the light that we each are and the governing principles of the world that we live in. And when we look at Jyotish and you look at your own Jyotish natal chart, you're able to look at how you can align with those governing principles in a way that will create you know, the most ease and sort of perfect unfolding of your soul's purpose. Jyotish is a science that... Uh, understands each one of us as a soul. We are consciousness itself come alive to know that we are consciousness come alive. Um, it's a Vedic science. It is considered an Upaveda, which means a supporting science. Veda means science. To the prime Veda, the prime science, which is yoga, yoga being the science of self-realization. Now, in order to realize the self, uh, the ancient ones gave us supporting sciences that would help us with that path. They gave us Ayurveda, which is a science of health and wellness. They gave us Jyotish, which is this science of you as a piece of light, you could say. And when we, we look at Ayurveda, we understand that we are nature. And I think that's very comforting itself to know that we are, as I said, as great, as majestic as a mountain, as beautiful and tender as a blossoming flower, right? As powerful as a raging river. We are all of that. And... Jyotish tells us that we are the cosmos. So Ayurveda says you are nature. Jyotish says you are the cosmos. You are as vast, you are as sparkly, you are as intelligent as the cosmos that surrounds, surrounds us. In fact, we know, we all know by now that all that is matter, all the atoms that make up matter, 
were, you know, forged in the belly of stars. And Jyotish is really the science of that. If your ancestors are the stars, what's your lineage? What are the karmas that you've, you know, anytime you give light, you could say to the space-time continuum, it's going to pick up karmas as it seeks to unfold dharma. So karma is really just a word that you could say means patterns that play out, things that repeat over and over and over. It's not a Judeo-Christian word. It does not mean, you know, crime and punishment. It's nothing to do with any sort of sin that we're paying for. It's simply patterns that continue to play out. And one of the purposes of our lives is to become aware of those patterns that play out and to learn to see them and meet them in such a way that we may even be able to dissolve them. The other you know, purpose of our life is to dissolve those karmas. Another purpose of our life is to unfold our dharma. Dharma is, the perp- you know, we say it means purpose. It's your soul's truth. It's your essence. It really means live your essence. A lot of people nowadays are looking for their purpose. That's where we started this conversation. And that's because right now we have a really interesting transit. We have the planet Saturn, the, one of the biggest, heaviest planets. It's an outer planet. It's a very slow-moving planet. Because it's so slow-moving, it takes two and a half years to cross through any sign. And because it takes two and a half years, that you know, it means it stays in a sign a very long time. It means it's very impactful. Right now, Saturn is in Sagittarius. It's just moved into Sagittarius earlier this year. And Sagittarius is, is the sign, the constellation, right? It's a, it's a pattern of stars that relates to purpose. It relates to spirituality. It relates to philosophy. It relates to Dharma. And so Saturn, being this planet that causes us to dig deep, to take responsibility, to, to mature ourselves, to learn life lessons to work hard. So Saturn's not necessarily the happy planet, right? But Saturn is the planet that's going to cause people to really dig deep within and look inward to find the truth of who they are, the truth of who you are. You know, think about how juicy that is. (laughs) And once you find the truth of who you are, which is not necessarily, you know, an insurance salesman or even an author or writer or a person who helps people as you do, the truth of who you are is that you are love, or you are joy, or you are creativity, or you are freedom. You know, it's these spiritual essences. And it's that that we need to remember, that to, to root in, to ground into our essence. And then, you know, when we have good strong roots, then we can rise up like a tall tree, or we can blossom like a glorious flower. But I think that's what it is about Jyotish that I love so much. I think it gives people understanding and freedom and tools to face the karma, the challenges of their life. And then I think it also gives them clarity around their dharma. And when you have tools to face your challenges and clarity around your true purpose, you know, to me, that's the ultimate freedom. Mm. One of the things we spoke about in a couple of my readings that we have had together was that I was coming to the end of my Saturn's return. And for many women listening to this, they may have heard this idea of the Saturn's return. We hear this phrase quite often and we're hearing it more and more now than ever. What is the Saturn's return? 
let me give you an example. Saturn takes two and a half years to transit through a sign. The next slowest planet is Jupiter. Jupiter takes 13 months to transit. And then everything else transits in just a few months at the most. You know, the moon goes in just a day and a half. So for, to take two and a half years is a very, very long time, right? Saturn is considered heavy, and by that we mean it comes and it sort of sits on you, and it's a very heavy feeling when Saturn's on you. Uh, Saturn taking two and a half years means it takes 28 years for it to go completely around the sky. And what we mean when we talk about a Saturn return is, after 28 years, Saturn has come back in your chart to where it was when you were born. And what I find interesting about that is that scientists are now saying it takes 28 years for the brain to fully develop. So is this why, for a lot of women at age 28, we kind of feel like our whole life has been turned upside down and topsy-turvied? Absolutely. You have completed a cycle and you're no longer a child. And Saturn, you know, it depends on your chart. Saturn can be friendlier to some than Saturn is to others. Ultimately, these planets are neutral. They don't really pick favorites. But depending on certain things in your chart, we can see if Saturn is more friendly to you or more difficult. Um, some people are going to have a more difficult Saturn return than others. But effectively, Saturn wants to mature you. Saturn wants to prepare you now for the next phase of your life. And in this next phase, from 28 to 56, you know, it's another 28 years, you're going to have another Saturn return at 56. But in between, you're now a grown-up. And we call it, in, in yoga in the ancient times, they called it a householder. And a householder is somebody who's got a job, usually married, children, lots and lots of responsibilities. So, you know, the freedom of childhood, in one sense, is over. And I think there's a lot of people who, at 28, whatever their life circumstances, they really feel that. You know, if they were partying, they can't get away with that anymore, right? Um, whatever freedoms they might have had, you just notice at 28 that it's changed. Now, Saturn might come in and give some people, like you said, they might, Saturn might really turn your life upside down, or Saturn might give us a good swift kick. But what I find is that people after the Saturn period, they always look back and say, now I know the strength within myself. Now I know that I have this inner metal. Now I know that I can really face life and meet its challenges and I have that resiliency. And it gives people a certain confidence. Mm. Understanding this really helped me a lot through that period of my life. As you know, during my Saturn's return, my best friend Jess passed away. And that turned my life upside down and completely flipped everything I thought and knew about the world and consciousness and why we were here on its head. And having that knowledge of an understanding of this Saturn's return really allowed me to remember that this was my opportunity to rise. This was my opportunity to step up and become 
you know, a woman. And that was my lesson that I needed. And it was right smack bang in the middle of my Saturn's return. And I remember us having many conversations about this. So for anyone who is experiencing something that is incredibly uncomfortable and tumultuous, maybe placing your hands on your heart and reminding yourself that this is your opportunity to rise, to step up, could be really helpful. I mean, it helped me and I hope that helps you as well. So I have seen a few times where people have had different types of readings, whether it's been Jyotish or different astrology readings, and they have held onto something that the person said as Bible, and it actually held them back. So I know someone in my life that this happened to at a very young age where they were told that their lover is going to be from overseas and they're going to meet their lover overseas and they're going to be together overseas. So throughout her whole 20s, that this reading was when she was, I think, 18, throughout her entire 20s, she has held on to this belief that she's going to meet him overseas somewhere and they're going to live together overseas. So every partner that she's had in between, and she's had maybe one or two, she's kind of had that, ah, this isn't forever, that mentality. And I have always, every time I've seen a healer or a practitioner or an astrologer or anyone, even you, I've always taken what has resonated, what feels good, and I've left the rest. And I've never taken it as Bible. I've always just tuned in and let it see how it lands with me. So have you seen that happen before? And what would you say to that? I first would say that it's a great responsibility and it's a great honor to be able to look at someone's chart. I always feel when I'm looking at a chart, uh, first I, you know, I never look at a chart unless I've been given permission. And the next thing is that I always feel like I'm looking at a, a diamond or a semi-precious, a precious stone. I'm seeing all the different facets and reflections of light, right? And it always just feels like such an intimate and sacred experience to be able to see somebody at that deep level. Because, you know, you can, see their, you can see their soul's purpose for coming alive. And it's, it's deep and it's precious. Um, and we all have to take... Uh, great you know responsibility for talking to somebody about what we see in the chart. The second thing is that I love to talk to different astrologers or, or sorry geotish masters and have them look at my chart. They always see something different because it's there's so much there to see, and each person will interpret it differently. Um, but finally, I would just say, I think it's unfortunate that I've heard this before. I've had people come to me. Somebody said, she said, people have told me that my, my first marriage is going to end in divorce and I'm married and I love my husband and I don't want it to end in divorce and I can't sleep at night. And I just thought, gosh, who would say that to a young woman before she's married? Unless they would say, 
here's how to resolve that. <laughs> but to just give somebody bad news and leave them with it, I think is, um, I think it's unfortunate that that happens. Finally, I think you've got the right answer. I think people need to leave it because Jyotish is never saying, this is, this is the bad news and you're stuck with it. Sorry, see you later. There's no such thing as that because ultimately, again, this is a yogic science. This is a Vedic science. And the Vedas absolutely believe that before there was anything, there was consciousness. And what is consciousness? It's nothing, it's nothing fancy. It's just awareness. If you're listening now and you're aware of our words, then right now you are aware. And that is awareness. And awareness is in you and me and everyone listening. And every living being has awareness. Where does awareness come from? You know, we can look at the stars and say, well, that's where hydrogen and helium and iron and carbon and all of these beautiful things that make up our bodies and the foods that we eat, all of it, we can say it comes from the stars. The whole periodic table that we study when we were 10, 11, 12 comes from the stars. But where does your awareness come from? Where does your intelligence come from? That comes from consciousness itself that, was, that precedes all existence and is within all existence. And so... The waves that are created, the patterns of light and energy that are created in the sky at the moment of your birth, they're real. And you are the coming alive of that pattern of, of light and energy. And yet, even that pattern of light and energy comes from consciousness itself. And so all, everything, even those waves can be dissolved back to the no-thingness <laughs> that is consciousness. That is not a thing, but it is something. And it is awareness. And so in Jyotish, we have tools. We never leave somebody with bad news. We never let somebody walk away, you know, feeling bad about their karma or their, their aspects in their chart. Whatever's in the chart can be remediated, at least through insight, but even more powerfully through mantra. I don't want to say that it's, you know, it's always cheerful. Some people have difficult things in their charts, but... Jyotish is not about leaving a person there. Jyotish is about helping a person get to yoga, which is the union of yourself with the consciousness that you are, right? Yoga means union. Yoga is the science of self-realization. To realize the greatness of your being, that you are born of consciousness, the very same power that created the universe, that you are that. So if you understand that Jyotish is simply helping you understand that you are that, then there can't be a problem. If somebody walks away feeling bad about it, then something went wrong. And I'm sorry to hear that happens. Mm. I love that there is always solutions and answers and it's about support and it's about, yeah, really helping the person move through whatever is in their chart. That's, that's really beautiful. I love that. You know, you were talking earlier about Saturn, and it isn't just the Saturn return. Saturn can cross your moon and cause trouble. Saturn can cross your 12th house and then your first house and, and give you some challenges. Um, there are different things that Saturn does as it moves around the sky. And one thing that we we lovingly say is that Saturn is usually what brings people to Jyotish. People are having a difficult time in their life. And when we open up the chart, we see, oh, yep, I can see why you're having a difficult time. There's Saturn. But it's nice to also know that, well, Venus is doing this good thing and 
Jupiter is doing that, you know, that there's other planets that are causing good things to happen. And so it's also, it's also great because it gives perspective. But when it's Saturn causing challenges, there are, there are remedial tools. So again, it really is about giving support. And again, sometimes it's just really good to know that you're not doing anything wrong. You're just going through a period and it, this too shall pass. That is one of mine and Nick's favorite mantras. This too shall pass. And he says it to me so often. And I say it to him too. This too shall pass. And it's really comforting. You know, when you are going through challenging times, I would use, I used to write it on a post-it note and stick it on my bathroom mirror so that when, you know, I looked in the mirror, I could take a deep breath and remind myself that this too shall pass. Everything is always ebbing and flowing, you know, to strive to be in happiness all the time is, is not realistic. And, and either is the deep, dark depression or the sadness or the anger or the frustration, everything passes, everything is ebbing and flowing. And when we can observe and know that it's all unfolding exactly the way it should, then it it is like a nice, warm, juicy hug from the universe. Yeah, because the universe does have your back. And you are alive on purpose to, um, to experience the karmas, to hopefully overcome or dissolve the karmas and to unfold your soul's essence. I mean, and the universe wants to support you in that. Absolutely, it does. What roles do the sun and the moon play in all of this? Well, so again, there's so much one could say about that, but the sun represents the light, right? The sun is the light, all the planets circle around the sun. So we think of the sun as being your heart or your dharma or the true self or your spiritual self or the light of consciousness that's that's that indwelling spirit. Um, When we look at the sun in somebody's chart, we're looking at, you know, if, if you're the light of consciousness, what's the color? You know, what color is your light? Is it yellow, red? You know, you're one of the rays of light, one of the seven rays. Um, what flavor you could say? What color is that? Is your light? So the 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 sun is interesting because nobody in Jyotish or in India, where it comes from, would ever say, you know, hey, what's your sun sign? They, it's too personal. The sun represents your innermost self, your innermost motivations, aspirations, hopes, and dreams. So people who are living very authentically they may have a very integrated life. So their innermost hopes and dreams and aspirations really are, you know, that's really woven through their thoughts, their feelings, their actions, and all that they are. Still, for the most part, it's a fairly personal thing. The moon is, the word in Sanskrit, manas, M-A-N-A-S, relates to one aspect of the mind, and it's the aspect of the mind that perceives and processes sensory information. So if you're driving a car and you see a red light, the sensory information comes in, tells you to stop, right? Now that might give you a feeling, oh, frustration, I'm going to be late for work. So it's that sensory processing aspect of your brain that often gives us our thoughts and our feelings that aren't necessarily different. Frustration, I'm going to be late, what will I tell my boss? 
That's both a feeling and a thought, right? So the moon relates to that. We say the moon relates to your emotional nature, but it's really your mental emotional nature. If, if somebody is asking you in India, what's your, what's your sign? They're either going to be asking you, what is your rising sign? Because that helps us understand your physical appearance and your outer personality. Or they're interested in what's your moon sign? Because that's, that's really, you know, as I get to know you better, what are you going to be like? How do you respond to the world? You know, when things go bad, how do you respond? When things go great, how do you respond? Are you warm? Are you positive? Are you moody? Are you dramatic? Right? So that's the moon. What's my rising sign and what's my moon sign? Your rising sign is cancer. And interestingly enough, your, your cancer is ruled by the moon. And I think if you remember what I, what I love about you, what I always see in you is that cancer rising. Because it's very maternal. It wants, it wants everybody to be happy, to feel good, to be strong, to be well-fed, to be well-nourished, to be hugged, <laughs> to be cared for, right? It's a very maternal sign. It's also a very intuitive and even, you might even say, empathic sign. Because the moon is one of these great luminaries, it's close to the earth, it governs the tides. People with cancer rising generally have a sense of the tides of humanity, right? The cultural trends or the emotional feel of a people. Um, so it makes them good writers. Uh, they're tuned into people's emotional nature. Your moon is exalted in Taurus. So uh, in Jyotish, what makes Jyotish unique? It's unique in many ways. In fact, you asked me that in the beginning. I didn't really get to that. But it's unique. One of the ways it's unique is that it talks about not just the, the, the constellations or the signs and the planet, so where the planet lands and what sign. It doesn't just give you a personality. It gives you strengths and weaknesses. So there's places where planets are strong and there's places where planets are not so strong. There's places where the planets, we say, are in the house of a friend. In your case, your moon is in Taurus where it's exalted. So that's the strongest placement for the moon. So out of 12 places the moon could be, yours is in the strongest. And that's great because that gives an emotional nature that is very stable. That's, you know, um, our former U.S. president had the same moon, and they used to call him No Drama Obama. It's a moon that says, you know, we're going to get through this. It's, we're going we're to stay focused. It's not dramatic. It's not going through the highs and lows. And yet at the same time, Taurus is a very caring, very kind, very gentle placement for the moon. So one still cares about people. One still is very connected. There's a lot of affection with the Taurus moon. It's just not, it just avoids the highs and lows of that, that emotionality. It's also important because with Cancer rising, remember, Cancer is ruled by the moon. That means your first house, remember, first house relates to your body, your physical appearance, and your outer personality, your first house is ruled by the moon. So you want your first house ruler to be in a strong position because then it will take care of you and give you a strong body and good health, a capacity to respond, so a good immune system, and uh, longevity. So for a lot of reasons, that's a really, really excellent moon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you have a great chart. You know that I've told you that before. <laughs> 
Oh, I just love all this so much and oh, I just love it. I could listen to you for hours. Another term we hear a lot of at the moment is Mercury retrograde. So what is that? What's going on? And how can we move through it with as much ease and grace as possible? This is another way that Geotish is unique. Let me, if you don't mind, let me take a few minutes, just a minute if I can, to explain the most unique thing of the way that Geotish is most different from the astrology that most people are used to. So Geotish looks at where these planets are in the sky in this very moment. And you might be surprised to realize that the astrology that we call Western astrology is, it's not, it's not true. May 15th to June 15th is Taurus, according to Jyotish. And then June 15th to July 15th is Gemini. And then July 15th to August 15th is Cancer. August 15th to September 15th is Leo. I meet so many people born in the first part of September, and they're so obviously Leo. And they're claiming that they're Virgo. And I can't think of two more different things than Leo and Virgo, right? Leo is very sunny, very bright, very outward, very bold and confident and strong, great leaders. Virgo is the ultimate at being the support system, right? They're great at administration. They're a great PA. They're great at planning. They're great at putting their heads down and getting the job done. It's so opposite of Leo. But what happened is 2,000 years ago when the Greeks first were you know, practicing the science of astrology, uh, the sun moved into Aries on the spring equinox, so late March, on the 21st or 22nd of March. And so in the Western astrology, they pinned the start of the year at the start of the spring equinox. So the, when the sun moves into Aries, that's considered the start of the year in ancient times. And so... And that makes sense, right? That the year would start with the blossoming, with the spring, with the return of light and warmth. And so um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an equinox-based system. And they still believe that Aries starts March 21st or March 22nd. But what happens is the earth wobbles. So it wobbles on its axis. And what that means is that because of that wobble, we wobble one degree every 70 years. Over 2,000 years, the, the earth has moved, but for, from the earth, it looks like the sky has moved. So now from where we stand on the earth, uh, the sun doesn't actually go into Aries until April 15th, three weeks later. So three of the four weeks of any sign have shifted. And what that means is that people will say, you know, it's a new moon. You know, right now it's a new moon. And in Geotis, that new moon is in Taurus. It's a beautiful new moon in Taurus right now in Rohini, Nakshatra. But in Western, they're saying it's a new moon in Gemini. And that means very different things. Mercury, when it goes retrograde, we want to know where it's gone retrograde. So Western will say it's retrograde in one place, and Geotis will say it's retrograde in another. And I think that they both have benefits, and they both have a lot to teach us. But Geotis is precise about where the planets are. And that's why Geotish is able to make predictions. That's why you're able to look back and say, wow, those things really did happen. It really did come true. It's because we're really looking at something that's very, very mathematical down to very precise, you know, 0.001. 
So to go back to, to your question, which is about Mercury and when Mer- Mercury is retrograde, Geotish sees that retrograde, of course, planets don't go backwards. So what does retrograde mean? It means the planet has actually come closer to the Earth in its orbit. You know, these all have elliptical orbits, and so there's points where they come closer to the Earth. And as the planet comes clo- closer, it somehow seems like it's moving backwards. And so it got that name retrograde. If you think about it, if a planet's coming closer, what is it actually doing? Planets have an electromagnetic gravitational field. And so it's kind of grabbing us. And it's saying, pay attention to me. If Mercury's grabbing us and saying, pay attention to me, what is it asking for? Mercury relates to precision. Precision in our communication. Precision in our intellect. Because remember I said moon relates to manas, that's one aspect of the mind. Mercury relates to another aspect of the mind, and that is the intellect, the quieter mind. The mind that, you know, kicks in when you're studying, when you're preparing for an exam, when you're solving a big problem. So problem solving, studying, um, making a clock, painting something, preparing for a podcast, you know, when we're in our quieter mind, we call that, you know, the heart mind. That's what Mercury relates to. And so when Mercury is so-called retrograde, that's a time for us to get quieter, get more focused, to pay more attention to the details, and try to be more precise. So people will say that's not a good time to sign a contract. It's not a good time to start something new. It's just, it's a time when we have to be more careful and pay more attention. So on some level, what is Mercury asking us? Mercury is asking us to be more awake, right? To be less distracted. So it isn't necessarily a bad thing. And many times that's a good time for us to go back and, and redo or uh, kind of reconnect, reconfigure, bring more deeper focus and clarity to what we're doing. Don't just barrel forth. Take some time, take a pause, take a breath, and go deeper. Take another look. Mm. And kind of like the Saturn's return, it's asking us to rise up, to step up, to look, to wake up. It's beautiful. Most, you see a lot on social media, you know, people going, ah, oh, Mercury retrograde and getting so angry and, and they're kind of missing the point. Right. <laughs> they're also missing the opportunity because, you know, it's, sometimes it's nice to have something to blame. <laughs> and then you can just laugh it off. <laughs> right, because mistakes happen. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But it's really misunderstood. Yeah. Mercury is an opportunity to sharpen our focus. I love that. I'm going to look at it through that lens from now on. Yeah. No, Mercury is a good good planet. Laura, I'm curious to know now, what is one thing you're working on or would like to improve or work on within yourself at the moment? Is there anything that's right front and center for you? Well, you know, I've talked in, in this past hour or so a lot about karma and dharma. And so, you know, just in terms of karma, uh, excuse me, in terms of karma, one thing that 
became really clear for me in, in March. I spent about a week with a man named Dr. Bruce Lipton, who wrote a book called The Biology of Belief. Are you familiar with that book? Oh my gosh, it's one of the first books I ever picked up many years ago. He is amazing. You spent a week with him? Yes, he's such a lovely man. Uh, I spent a week I wasn't with him nonstop for the week, but I had a lot of time with him and a lot of conversations with him. Oh my gosh. And so one thing I'm doing is I'm, I'm myself putting together, I did a series of 12 interviews that I call Sisters and Sages. So uh, one thing I'm doing is I'm putting together those interviews for podcasts coming up and he'll be featured. But as we were talking over dinner one night, he, he made me aware that there was a, um, an issue in my birth, going all the way back to my birth, that basically I was a breech baby. I'll just explain it quickly. Instead of coming head first, I was coming feet first. And my mother had asked that she be awake and present for the birth and that under no circumstance would they drug her. But because I was breech, they drugged her. <laughs> as, as they're coming with, you know, towards her with the mask, she's going, no, 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 no. And, then, and the mask is on her. And um, I was just sharing that with Bruce because he was telling me a story about, about his wife. And it was a similar story. And so I had said to him, I thought that because of that, I got this great aha when I heard that when I was in my early 20s. I thought, the purpose of my life is to give voice to the feminine. And I do believe that's a purpose to my life, to give voice to the feminine and and to women, but also to the divine feminine. But Bruce said to me, oh, no, 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 that's not what it's about. It's about those drugs went into the placenta and went into you. You were drugged as you were being born. And when he said that, I I realized instantly the truth of that and how that has played out in my life. And that that is the cause for everything that's in many ways been challenging in my life. And if I could go back and undo that and sort of undo and redo, then I would be kind of born again (laughs) and born right, you know, born head first. I was like, I want to be born head first. (laughs) And so I did some, I don't know if you've heard of the, the holographic breathing, but holotropic breathing, it's a, it's a basically, it's a yogic technique of, of breathing with intention, flooding your body with oxygen, and giving yourself kind of an altered experience, and an altered state. Uh, but I went in with the intention of, of being birthed right. So it's just a very interesting experiment that I did. But the, when I first started, I felt terror. I was terrified. And I realized, I don't trust this process. I want to go face first. I want to jump into life. I don't want to turn around and go with my back. You know, I didn't trust it. It was so fascinating. And then I decided I was going to trust it and went back in and redid. I just did this last weekend. And it was um, such a powerful experience. So that's something that is very alive for me right now. The power of the breath to really heal deep wounds, precognitive experiences. And, and when I talk about how you can, you can dissolve these karmas, you can dissolve these patterns that play out throughout your life, that, that you know, you're not at fault, you didn't do anything wrong, you know, being born, being born upside down, you know, it's not something you say is your fault, you didn't do something wrong. And yet throughout your life, the pattern plays out. And to be able to, through breath practices, through meditation practices, 
dissolve the patterns. You could go and dissolve patterns that occurred when you were in the womb. So fascinating. So I'm really alive to that. I'm really interested in helping others with, with that kind of deep, deep, deep systemic kind of healing, you could call it. Um, and then on the other hand, one of my dharmas, I feel, is to help people really know the truth of who they are. And so I'm putting together a course uh, on, you know, helping people find their soul's purpose, identifying the soul's purpose, and then cultivating that purpose to bring it forth powerfully into the world. Because what the world needs more than anything is for people to know who they are and to live purposefully. Beautiful. We'll link to that in the show notes so that people can come and check that out if that's something that you know anyone's feeling called to do. Let's pretend now that you have a magic wand and you can put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Besides any books you decide to write in the future, <laughs> what book would you choose? That is such a tough question for me because I love books so much and I, I have, how can we narrow it down to one? You know, so it, the beautiful thing about life is that we are whole and complete and perfect as we are, and yet we, we learn that in chronological order, you know, like everything unfolds through the time-space continuum. <laughs> so we get it in fragments. Um, to find one book that has it all, hmm. the, the book that comes to mind is the Upanishads, and... Um, I just wish I could think of something that would be just like such a great book that that is exciting, fantastical, entices the imagination. And that's not necessarily Upanishads. <laughs> but what I love about the Upanishads is that it really is a, a manual to life. It really does tell you what is life, who are you, how to live your life, and how to live your life as I said, productively and creatively, but also how to be content, how to, how to be healthy, how to be a good person, how to make a difference. Um, you know, the Upanishads is, 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 a, is, a, is short chapters, really. Uh, you'd have to have teachers who would know how to really help interpret the Upanishads. But I wish people in high school around the world spent more time focusing on who they are and their essence and how we are all born of this one mother, this one earth, you know, this earth we call mother, this nature we call mother, these waters we call mother. We know now that scientists have traced all of our genes back to one mother who comes out of Africa. And we are family. And there is a way to live your life feeling connected, feeling like you belong, knowing that you're safe, knowing that the universe has your back, living in alignment with nature so that you can be healthy, happy, and whole. And you can have a life of service, a life that, that is meaningful. Um, because I think it's important to learn skills, but the most important thing is to learn who you are, to learn your essence, and then express it through the skills that you learn. What's your book? <laughs> oh, goodness, there's so many goodies. But besides my own book, which is, is a given, the first book that comes to mind, oh, there's so many, but I love Conversations with God 
by Neil Donald Walsh. I think that is profound. Emmanuel's book. Oh, there's so many great health books. There's so many good books. But, yeah, they're probably, those two really hit me, really quite in the heart space. So I love them. Speaking of your book, I do a camp every summer for girls. It's middle school and high school, so it's girls who are pre-teens and early teens. And the point of the camp is to cultivate self-esteem, self-care, and self-regulation. And we call it a camp for leadership and resiliency. But basically, we teach yoga and Ayurveda. And of course, we have expressive arts and lots of fun play. Uh, I think we should bring your book to that camp. I think we should gift all the campers a copy of your book. Let's do it. That is such a great idea. Such a great idea. I have um, done some talks at some all-girls high schools in Australia, and that was really beautiful. And they gave copies of my book of Mastering Your Mean Girl to every girl. And it has transformed so many people's lives. And it's been really beautiful. I get emails from mothers and emails from school teachers and from girls as well. And it's just so beautiful. It's really beautiful. That is beautiful. So let's, let's definitely look into that. Yes. Every teen girl needs to read that book. Thank you. So let's talk about how your day looks. Do you have a morning routine? Um, If so, how do you prime yourself for the day? Do you have a couple of non-negotiables? Yes. (laughs) Get up, take a deep, deep breath. Just just take that deep breath. Just, oh my God, I'm so glad to be alive this moment. Mm. And as you know, probably know, I then, it's all about the oleation. So, there's a bottle of sesame oil or coconut oil on the sink in the, my bathroom. And that oil goes all over the body, t- top to toe, right? Crown of the head to the soles of the feet. And then I put on something, you know, cozy and easy to wear. And I head to the kitchen where I make a, a cup of tea or maybe I even make that coffee with the coconut oil. And, and then I get to my yoga. So, and that might be anywhere from 10, 15 minutes to 30, 45 minutes of, of asana practice, yoga postures and poses and movement and deep breathing and mantra. And then I sit for some pranayama breath practices. And then I sit for, I usually then do some chanting. I like to sing the mantras. I have some Hanuman Chalisa, various things that I sing. And then I just sit in meditation So the whole thing is anywhere from 25, 30 minutes to an hour or on a very delicious day, I get an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes. Um, And then, of course, it's up into the shower to wash all the oil off and uh, and get on with the day. So those are the simple basics that are non-negotiables. Beautiful. Now, I'm curious to hear now, what are three things you are most recently grateful for? I am so grateful for everything that went wrong in my life that kicked the, you know, everything out of me, kicked the stuffing out of me. Um, Very recently, I saw you a year ago, a year and a half ago, I just absolutely had the, everything kicked out of me, totally, suddenly like, I feel like it was like a 15 car pileup. It was just 
killer. And I'm so grateful for it because even though it just tore everything to pieces, it gave me my ultimate freedom. <laughs> I think there's a Chinese saying that says something like, be careful what, you know, what your, your bad luck might be your, your good luck. You know, like, be careful what you accuse or what you get. Something like that. It's something about your bad luck um, could really be your good luck. And I feel like that. I feel like so many of the things in my life that have gone, not just, not just go wrong, but things that have really hurt, just torn my heart into a thousand pieces and then stumped all over it, <laughs> gave me so much freedom. So I'm really grateful for the freedom. And I'm really grateful for my teachers because I've had really, really immense, awesome, great teachers. And I don't know who or what I'd be without my teachers, you know. We really all, all of us stand on the shoulders of those who've come before us. And then I'm always so grateful to my father who died when I was only, you know, 28. He died many years ago and very suddenly and he was still very young. And, I, and he was my best friend. And he was the one who, he lived his life with such appreciation for it and such curiosity and such a sense of childlike wonder. And every person he met, you know, he would, he would be so thrilled to, to meet that person and learn about that person and learn what they know and where they've been. <laughs> he, um, he was a great inspiration. So I feel, I feel grateful for the blessedness of, of freedom, of teachers, of my father, my family, and my friends. I mean, can I go on? My friends, <laughs> people like you who inspire <laughs> me all the time. You know, the connections to friends who inspire, gosh, that's what keeps the heart so alive. Mm, well, you inspire me all the time. So, And I'm very grateful to have you in my life. And and Bava too, both of you, to have you both in my life is just heaven. Heaven, heaven, heaven. Yes, yeah, we live there. I have a few more questions. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do today for our health? I, uh, I'm going to say something that I hope is a little bit surprising because it's so important that I hope that it causes one to just sit up and go, what? <laughs> so that we really hear it. The, I think the most important thing that we can do that not everybody is saying, because of course we know that we should really eat healthy, whole, organic foods, right? We should eat in the right way and all that. But what I think a lot of people don't know is one of the most important things you can do for your health is oil your body top to toe every single morning before you shower and hopefully leave it on for 15 to 20 minutes. And why is that? The reason why, it's, it's so interesting. First of all, because you're giving your body a good massage, and so you're helping to awaken the body after you've been sleeping. And that massage will awaken the muscles. It'll help to get rid of some of the, some of the fascia that starts to grow and tighten up the body. So it'll help to break that up and help to wash that out. It helps to encourage good circulation, so your blood flows well. Blood, good blood flow is going to help, again, wash out toxins that have been, you know, your body is cleansing itself at night. So to oil your body in the morning is also to help what's been cleansed to really move through your body and to move out of your body, not just to help the, the blood 
and the lymphatic system to get, you know, old, you could say toxins, to the digestive tract to be released. But also you're pushing toxins out of your skin. So the oil that you put on your skin will then wash out those toxins from your skin. It'll wash it away. You're also getting nourishing blood in circulation through your body that way. But then the other thing is there's, there's new research that shows that sesame oil, the molecule sesamol, which is the primary molecule in sesame oil, is anti-inflammatory. And there is a skin-gut connection. There's also a skin-brain connection. So that what you put on your skin can go to your brain without having to go to your gut and getting washed away. So if you put sesame oil on your skin, you're going to get sesame sesamol to your brain. With its anti-inflammatory properties, it's going to be really good for your brain. It's going to help protect your brain from things in the future like dementia, Alzheimer's, etc., It improves cognitive function. They've shown that for sure. And that's before you've even added any botanical herbs or anything whatsoever to the oil. The sesame oil itself has been shown to help prevent, put off, and even reverse brain decay that is the cause of Alzheimer's and dementia. So the positive attributes, the benefits, it gives you radiant skin. It helps detoxify the body. It helps nourish bone and deeper tissues. It helps to nourish the nerves. So it helps to reduce anxiety. It helps at the mental level, the emotional level. It helps at the physical level. But here's another thing. As you know, I do these seasonal cleanses. So every season I do a cleanse. And one of the things I invite people to do is these morning abhyanga, it's called, daily massage. And one of the men in my cleanses, he was about 45 years old when he told me this. He said at first he was very resistant But finally, he started to do the massage. First, just his top of his head. And it can just be like a little finger at the crown of your head. You don't have to do your whole head if you don't want to get your hair oily. Then your ears, your face, your jaw, your neck, your shoulders. He said by the fifth day, he was full-on, whole-body massage. And as he was doing it, he was massaging his arms, his thighs, his feet, And he couldn't help but start to feel love for himself. Loving his toes, loving his wrists, loving his shoulders. And one of the words for oiling the body in Sanskrit is snehana. And snehana means oil massage. But snehana is also a word that means love. And so this oiling of your body every morning is a way of loving yourself. This man said to me, I've never liked my body. I've hid it under baggy clothes. I don't look at myself in the mirror. I don't want to see my body. He said, after a week of doing daily oiling massage, I have come to love my body. Not just love myself in a spiritual way, but I love my body. I can finally say yes to me and fully be a spiritual being fully inhabiting this physical body, which means I now more fully physically inhabit the physical plane, my physical life, my relationships, everything that I do in and through my body. And it was just a huge, huge experience for this person. And I think that happens to all of us. It's a way of taking care of ourselves. It's a way of giving ourselves love. It's, a, it's an act of self-love that affirms who you are 
integrating you back to that whole, the spirit, the emotional, the mental, and the physical, as one. It's very, very powerful. Mm, it's so beautiful. It's so, so beautiful. Nick and I do it every single morning, and I also repeat like affirmations as I do it. So I will say, I love you toes. I love you toes. Or I'll go, thank you legs. Thank you legs. And I literally do it like that. And I'm like, thank you legs for carrying me. You're amazing legs. I love you legs. You are the best legs ever. (laughs) Yeah. And they are, aren't they? They just are. And they're so happy to finally be recognized. (laughs) first carrying you right (laughs) absolutely and you know it took me a really long time to be able to do that because I had a lot of body dysmorphia and a lot of self-love that I needed to work on so it took me a little while like that man that came on your retreat and sometimes I use sesame oil, sometimes I use coconut, sometimes I use olive oil, um, depending what season I'm in. But I loved hearing about why sesame is so powerful. And all the oils I use are 100% organic as well. But it, you are right. It is a beautiful self-love act. And I talk about it in my new book, actually. I talk about self-love massage in my new book. And so I'm really glad that you brought that up. It's such a powerful thing. And I actually now look forward to it because it feels so good. Yeah, it's yummy. And it makes you feel yummy, Mm, right? Yeah, It does. Mm -hmm. It does. And you can always put a drop of essential oil or something in there if you you feel called. Right. Well, another thing about sesame oil, because I think most people would go naturally towards coconut or olive oil. But the re- another reason sesame oil is so great is that while it's a heavier oil, its molecules are small, so it can really penetrate the deeper tissues of the body. And so it's really good for the vata person because it's heavy, it's very grounding, it's a warm, it's a heating oil, it's naturally heating, so it's warming to the body. And the vata person, which again is the air person, air runs cold, so they need that extra warmth. And the the vata person, the air person, tend, air when it gets into the bones and the nervous system creates um, obviously b- bone fractures and, and bone problems. Nervous system creates anxiety and um, you know certain neurological issues. So air people especially want to use sesame oil. It's the ideal oil for them because it will get to those deeper tissues and continue to nourish your brain, your nerves, your bones, really, I mean, think about how deep it goes right into the essence of you. Mm. Mm. I'm curious to hear now, what is one of the most important things that we could do for wealth, more abundance in our life? So wealth is a word that comes from wheel, and wheel comes from whole. And so I think to be in the wheel of giving, to be in service, to consider, you know, to serve others, to consider that what you do is a service to others. I think that gives you uh, more strength and more permission to go out and do the work. Um, so to get yourself on the wheel of giving, the wheel of wealth, the wheel of, of the flow of energy and money as, as an energy, um, and to contribute to that wheel circling round and round and round. And I think as part of that, it's about really believing in yourself. 
So again, when you really know the essence of who you are, why you're here, what your purpose is, then you know it's got value and, and you need to be valued for the work that you do. So that once you really know the value, the essence of you, and then the value of that, then you've got permission to go out and, 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 and receive that value and ask for that value. Mm, I agree. So it's good too, because it's, it's, it's things that make you happy. It makes you feel good about your work and about yourself. And what is one of the most important things that we could do to cultivate more love in our life? It's the easiest of all your questions because it's the essence of who we are. We are absolutely born of love. I mean, the universe itself is born of, of the impulse to create and that impulse to create is embedded in each one of us, which is extraordinary to think that we've given, given this like power, you could say, of God to create life itself. And that act of creation is, is, comes from, is sourced in love. It's an expression of love. It carries with it love. Love is... is is, is why we're alive. You know, we were created out of love. And every one of us has a deep reservoir, reservoir of love within us. We've been conditioned by our pop songs and <laughs> rock songs and books and poetry and, and, and our world. We've been conditioned to believe that love is something that happens when we're about 16, 17, 18. We fall in love. We get hit by a bolt of lightning. We're going to be, you know, carried off like a princess or we're going to be the knight in shining armor. We're going to ride in and save somebody. And love is, even if you feel that way, even if you meet somebody and feel, wow, this person's going to change my whole life. The fact is that feeling that you're experiencing is a feeling that was created within you, by you. You know, you create your, you know, you have this neurochemistry that you're able to create. This is Bruce Lipton's whole thesis, is that we, that we create from our brain actually the blood that flows through our body that feeds the molecules of our beings, of our tissues. And health comes because of what we think and believe and choose to feel. Because that actually changes the content of your blood, that changes the nourishment to the molecules of your tissues of your body. And you can choose to feel love all the time. And one of the things that I invite people to do is to imagine a divine, perfect, holy, sacred, all-loving mother you know, give her a, a face and a, a body. Give her a physical presence. Imagine that. And imagine that she's behind you right now and she's just wrapping her arms around you and tucking her chin right in between your shoulder and your side of your face. And she's just whispering, I love you. I love you. And she's just holding you and telling you how much she loves you. She just loves you. Or another thing you can do is close your eyes. Bring your awareness down into the center of your chest, the place we call the heart center. In Sanskrit, it's Hridaya. It's the 
it's the place of the, where consciousness, the indwelling spirit, right? Consciousness dwells there within you, right at that center of your chest. And imagine as you look in there with your eyes closed, so you're looking with your inner eye, that you see love looking back at you. And as love looks at you, love smiles at you, and love tells you, not just I love you, but here's what I love about you. Here's what I love about you. And you just sit and listen as love tells you why love loves you and why love brought you alive so that you could be all those things that love loves about you in this world. You know? So love is that, right? And then if we have a beloved, we get to share that love that is in our heart already, that is what we are already, that is what we're made of already, that we are here to know and be already, always. Love is an absolute. It's a principle. It's an essence. It's a noun. And it's a verb. But it doesn't need a direct object. (laughs) It's the I am that I am. I am. Right? The direct object, right? The partner the beloved, the child, the mother, the husband, the wife, the girlfriend, the boyfriend. That's the person we get to play with as we both experience that we are love and that we're alive to know that we are love and to live that love in all that we do. You know, it's more fun to have someone to, to, to play with, right? So that's, that's your beloved. But you can be it with or without a beloved. We're there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I oh, I have this story that I share at uh, some of my events and in my work. And, you know, it is so beautiful to have someone to share that love with. It's like the first time I went to Paris and I saw the Eiffel Tower for the first time, I remember being blown away and I was so excited but I was on my own and I almost like I looked to my left and I looked to my right and I wanted to share that experience with someone even though it was still amazing on my own it was so amazing I was like oh my god and and people around me must have thought I was a little bit cray cray but I kind of also thought as I walked away, oh, that would have been so beautiful to share that with someone that I really loved and cared about. So that is what I, you know, I love about love is that we are whole and complete on our own. And then when we have our beloved, it's just sharing that. It's holding hands with that person and getting to share and and create what we want together. So I love that you said that. Yeah. I mean, the, the Eiffel Tower would still have been there. Totally. Right? It's there with or without your beloved. So that, that essence that you are, that excitement. You know, in, in Jyotish or in yoga and Ayurveda, in the Vedas, we have this concept of Sat Chit Ananda. It's a beautiful term. Sat means pure being, B-E-I-N-G. Chit means pure consciousness or pure intelligence, pure awareness. And Ananda means bliss, pure bliss. And so the ancient yogis tell us that through your meditation, you will come to know who you are. And they describe that as Satchitananda, the threefold aspect of the soul. So you are pure being, pure consciousness, pure bliss. And you can try it out for yourself. You can meditate. And once you get into a state of deep inner calm, you say, who am I? And you realize 
I'm just this. I'm just this thing being, existing, alive. You know, I can feel the vibrations or the pulsations of my aliveness. I'm pure being. I'm awareness. I'm aware of myself. I'm aware of myself breathing. I'm aware of my eyes closed. I'm aware of the environment. I can smell someone, you know, somebody's cooking. I have awareness. I am pure awareness. And it feels good. It feels good to be alive and aware and feeling the pulsations of life. And that good feeling is Ananda. I am Satchit Ananda. And pure being projects in as the cosmic soul, it projects as life, you know, your aliveness. Chit, or pure consciousness, projects as intelligence, as light, the light that gives us the capacity to see and understand things. And Ananda projects it into the cosmos as love. So we are life, light, and love. And in Ayurveda, that projects into the nature as life is the air, the 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 flow of life, the breath that flows, the blood that flows throughout the body. The light projects in as the fire element, right? Fire is what gives us light, the capacity to see. So the fire that is our fire of digestion, metabolism, the capacity to process, digest information and wisdom. And then Ananda, love, projects as the, that which is the water element, but that which holds us together and binds us together. Water is what grows life. But the water principle actually is a principle of cohesion. And that projects as um, the air element in terms of the five senses relates to touch. And the fire element relates, of course, to sight. And then the water element relates to taste. And so what I always say is that, you know, we are born, because we are Satchitananda, that is what we are in our essence, We are born to touch, to see, and to taste life. And likewise, because consciousness comes alive to know itself, we are born to be touched, to be seen, and to be loved. So to see and to be seen is one of the purposes of our life. It's one of the, you could say, it it makes life feel complete. So you felt joy and love wonder right at the Eiffel Tower but then to share it with your beloved is to see and be seen right to hold hands is to touch and to be touched to taste life you know is to get the delicious flavors of life you know to be inspired so that's I think where that but but not to confuse right love is its own principle love is its own thing that we create we are within ourselves and we are alive to have these shared experiences, to touch, to be touched, to see and to be seen, and together to taste the true flavors of existence. And to have that experience is to feel ourselves fully alive. Mm. Amen. I couldn't agree more. So we can't just be alone. No. We need each other. Exactly. (laughs) And beautiful Laura, I have one more question for you. What is one thing that I can personally do and listeners can do for you to serve you today? So, you know, when, as you were telling me the story about Paris, I was thinking about how I've, I've just been in India for six weeks and I've been traveling a lot on my own. And I feel like when your heart is really, really full, 
you can have that loving experience when you go off to a place where you know nobody. But you start meeting people who shine that light back to you, who shine that love back to you, right? When you're living so authentically with such a full heart, alive to the beauty and the glories of the world, I feel like you do meet people and you do have these loving experiences. I'm not saying with another beloved necessarily, but with other women, with young people, with children, with older people. Um, I think more and more people are coming alive, and so it's easier more and more to meet people at that level and have that shared experience, which is a shared experience you know, of the ecstasy of being alive. Where we're able to see and be seen, right? We're able to see others and be seen by others at that level of truth. And it can be so instant. I'm really excited about the world we live in now because so many people are waking up. And so I feel like, you know, the answer I want to say is I want to hug. <laughs> so let's have a big hug. I just send hugs. Let's meet up. Let's, let's meet in Rishikesh. Let's meet in Sydney. Let's meet in social media and cyberspace. But, but let's just send out hugs to the world. Let's connect. Let's be real. Let's love. I love feeling part of that circle of, of our of our community, of our sisters, of women coming alive, coming awake, recognizing their value. Let's connect. Let's let's share this. Yeah, beautiful. We will put the links to every way that people could potentially virtually come and hug yeah. you and then <laughs> potentially come no, and meet no. you in person mm-hmm. at one of your events Absolutely or right. retreats or workshops or so we will link to everything uh every way that they can connect with you in the show notes and before oh sorry Just you go come alive you know come alive come alive to yourself to your essence to your sacred sumptuous being Come alive to that because, again, what the world needs and what gives me a feeling of being hugged is when I see people, especially women, especially young women, and by that I mean women in their 20s and 30s, coming alive to their value, their essence, their purpose, their heart, their love. You know, you are such a great leader, Melissa, of that. And to see that happening around the world, it just, again, it makes you just want to jump for joy. We are alive. Women are rising. Women are recognizing that we are better together. We are more together. The circles of, of sisters and you know, the goddess circles like you do, all the ways in which women are affirming one another, supporting one another, it's just it's so beautiful to see. I agree. It's, it's really beautiful. And before we go, I just wanted to say that I'm so grateful to have you in my life. You are such a beautiful, shiny example of a feminine goddess. When I think of you, Laura, I think of this tall, strong, yet totally feminine goddess energy. And you have been such a beautiful mentor for me and your wisdom and your words and just who you are being in this world is so beautiful and I'm deeply, deeply grateful that we have been able to connect over the past couple of years and that you said yes to coming on the Melissa Ambrosini Show podcast. So I'm very grateful. Well, all of that you see because that is true about you. That is absolutely who you are, just such a 
to find sacred, sumptuous, <laughs> gorgeous, heartful, heart-centered being. And I'm really not just glad to know you, because I am so glad to know you, but I'm so glad you're in the world doing great work. Thank you. Mm, thank you so much. Thank you. Blessings to you and to all. Thank you so. Thank you, beautiful girl. Blessings. What an angel. I loved that conversation so much and could have talked to her for hours. It was so juicy and so heartfelt. And I'm really excited for you guys to take on board some of the things Laura spoke about. And please head to the show notes and go and check Laura out. She is amazing. Go and have a look around her website, book in a session with her, do whatever you've got to do because she is amazing. And if you loved today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes because that means we can inspire even more people together and get on more epic humans on the show. And don't forget to tell me on Twitter who you would like me to interview and make sure you tag me at Mel underscore Ambrosini and the person you want me to interview using the hashtag the Melissa Ambrosini show. And for everything that Laura and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 27. And you can also check out all my other podcasts on my website as well. And that's melissaambrosini.com forward slash podcast. Thank you so much, beautiful angel, for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You seriously rock. I hope you know that. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from today's episode, please share it with them right now. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.